I'm Alec Lace. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Welcome, everybody, to episode 613 of the podcast. I am happy, as always, to be here with you. Thank you for stopping by. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, please get over there and bang that subscribe button. You do not want to miss all the action coming your way right here on First Class Fatherhood. All right, dads, I got an incredible guest for you guys today. George Farmer joins me on the podcast. George is the CEO of Parlor and husband to the extremely talented Candace Owens. Uh, together, they have a son, and they are now expecting a baby girl anytime here, coming soon, next month. Uh, George Farmer is a graduate of Oxford University, where he earned a first-class degree in theology. Prior to becoming the CEO of Parlor, Farmer worked in financial services for a decade in the U.K., Farmer is currently sitting on the board of several U.K. companies and serves as treasurer for the Blexit Foundation, a U.S. charity that is focused on driving self-improvement into inner-city minority communities. George was named the CEO of Parler, the world's premier free speech social media platform. He quickly turned the platform around and has got an exciting vision for its future. George met his wife Candace Owens in December of 2018 at the launch of Turning Point U.K., of which George was once a chairman. Many people hope to see his wife, Candace Owens, run as vice president to Donald Trump in 2024 or even see Candace run for president herself one day. But as of right now, the young couple is set to welcome their second child to their growing family. It's an honor to have George on the podcast today. George Farmer will be here with me in just a few minutes, so please stick around for the interview. And today's interview with George Farmer was recorded on video and is available for you guys to watch on my YouTube channel. So if you'd like to watch the conversation between the Paul, the CEO, and myself, Please subscribe to First Class Fatherhood on YouTube. Link is in the description of today's podcast episode. All right, if you enjoyed today's podcast with George Farmer and you're a fan of Candace Owens, you may want to check out some of the other conservative dads that I've had on the podcast here, including Governor Ron DeSantis, Eric Trump, Mike Pompeo, Dinesh D'Souza, Sean Hannity, and many others. If you go through the archives of the podcast, you'll find so many of the conservative dads that have stopped by the podcast here. Friday on the podcast, two-time Stanley Cup champion Daniel Carcillo is going to join me. Uh, Daniel Carcillo is a guy that suffered multiple concussions while playing professional hockey in the NHL. We are going to talk all about CTE, uh, the side effects of all these concussions, and what he is doing that has provided him some aid. So don't miss out on that one. Follow me on Instagram, at Alec underscore Lace, for all the upcoming guest announcements. And as always, guys, please help me spread the word about the podcast. Every father in your neighborhood or in your contact list, let them know about the show that is here celebrating fatherhood and family life. Fatherhood rocks, family values rule, and every day is Father's Day right here with me. And I'm going to be right back with George Farmer. I'm Alec Lace, and you're listening to First Class Fatherhood. Joining me now, First Class Father, George Farmer. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Thanks very much. Good to be here. All right, let's start right here. How many kids do you have? How old? (laughs) Just the one, Alec. Um, And he is 18 months and another one on the way about to arrive in uh, literally like less than a month. So uh, about three weeks, I think now. So, Wow. Very exciting stuff. Is uh, your son ready to become a big brother here or what? <laughs> you know what? I, he's a he's a little domestic terrorist. He's uh, running around causing complete chaos. I don't think he knows that he's got a little sister on the way just yet. So <laughs> I think he's he's like feeling out why is mommy getting a bit bigger than normal. Uh, you know, I think there's a. Uh, there's a few questions in his mind, but he's he's going to be – I think he's going to be a good big brother. I think it's going to take a little bit of getting used to. Yeah, be in for a little shock for sure. All right, if you could, George, please just take a minute here to hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do. Sure. 
Well, Alec, I run uh, a company called Parler, um, which is a social media company focused on free speech. Um, I used to be in financial services. I worked in London. Obviously, I'm English. I worked in London and financial services for about 10 years before I moved over to the States, got married in 2019, uh, lived in D.C. for a couple of years, helped my wife set up her foundation. And then we moved down to Nashville, Tennessee, when she took up a job down here. Uh, I then moved to become CEO of Parler last year, about the beginning of last year, and have run that for about 18 months now. So almost almost in tandem with how old my boy is, uh, was basically when I came, stepped into Parler and took over running that. Um, and otherwise, you know, English born and bred, raised in London, have an excellent dad of my own who still lives there. Um, and otherwise, you know, just enjoying the good life in Tennessee, you're enjoying life in the volunteer state. Yeah, very cool. And so take me back then. I know it's, it's you know, not that long ago, but how did the experience of becoming a father kind of change your perspective on life? Yeah, you know, it's actually a funny thing because being English, I'm more of an evolutionary kind of character than a revolutionary kind of character. You Americans are the revolutionaries, you know, whereas British, we're like the uh, the evolutionary. Um, so when it first when I first became a dad, I would say that the change was imperceptible you know it was kind of like there was suddenly this creature that needed attention love and care and 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 i wanted to love it and i wanted to care um for it and then you know he developed into a person and developed into this like living breathing characterful personality and in doing so i think it made me very aware that i was you know mortal i think in many ways i think when you're a young man uh, in your 20s, you know, you can probably be perceived as being kind of like the king of the world. You know, you can do your own thing. You can become sort of a, a master of your own little universe. And then suddenly you've got this amazing life in, before you, which is totally dependent upon you. And not only that, but also is the generation after you. And suddenly all of those perceptions that you had in your 20s get smashed. Um, and uh and suddenly you realize that, A, I'm going to die. B, uh, there's a generation after me, which is going to take on the legacy that I leave behind. And C, you know, that that actually life is so much richer when you're not the master of your own universe. Um, when you actually do have dependence and a family and relationships around you, which really means something. Yeah, very well said, George. And so you said it coincides, too, with you becoming the CEO of Parler. What have been some of the challenges uh, for you taking on the role of CEO while being a young new dad yourself? Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't wish last year on my worst enemy. Let's put it like that. Um, it was it was a tough one. There's no doubt about it. I, uh, you know, we mo- we moved states. It was my third move in uh, or fourth move in in two years, three years. I forget now. Um, we moved states. We moved cities. I became a dad. I took on a new job. Kind of all the things that they tell you not to do all at once, I did all at once. Uh, my wife was taking on a new job as well. So, you know, that was kind of pretty hectic, pretty busy. Um, it was definitely a challenging year. Not much sleep, um, you know, kind of 100-hour weeks, whether it will be in the workplace and then outside of the workplace, things were pretty crazy. Getting used to being a dad for the first time, I and mean, there are things that obviously you can just never predict. Your reaction when your kid is sick for the first time, it's just – you know, every parent tells you it's the same thing. And when you when you hear about it, my standard reaction is that will never happen to me. And then as soon as it happens to me, it's like, 
panic, like, you know, rushing, like, what do we do? You know, where do we take him? Does he need to go to the hospital? It's like, he's got a small fever. Do we need to take him to the hospital? Um, so I was kind of like, you know, getting used to all of that at the same time as trying to run parlor. It was a pretty challenging year as a whole. I would say that it got better throughout the year, just as we found our feet more. We were still building our home. You know, there was a lot going on. Um, but now settled into a cadence, have a rhythm of life down here, which is fantastic. Uh, he's obviously, you know, becoming a small boy, toddler, very advanced in terms of running around physical activity, walking backwards, doing backflips as far as I'm concerned. Uh, he's just sort of begun talking pretty well, kind of more, more conversant, uh, conversational with us, which is great. And uh, it's it's becoming life is becoming more settled down here. Yeah, very cool. And I know you mentioned, too, you had a good father growing up. Now, is uh, your parents uh, still with us and are they overseas or are they here in the States? And what, what kind of support system do you guys have uh, so far into this? Yeah, we my parents are overseas. They're in the they're in the UK. Um, we actually don't have many family down here, to be honest. So we 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 found ourselves doing a lot of the work ourselves. Um, you know, we pretty much all the kind of I mean, we have some nanny. We have a nanny, you know, who who obviously helps out, which is very useful and, and very much appreciated. Um, but we didn't have really any help from family nearby because there just isn't any. You know, Candace's family lives all over the country. Uh, my family live overseas. I have one sister who lives in England. I have one sister who lives in Japan um, and my parents who live in London. So, you know, not much help. But, uh, you know, that kind of made it all the more rewarding, I guess, because you're just you're thrown into those challenges and you're thrown into them in the deep end trying to figure out all the answers. Um, it does mean that I think the second time round now with uh, number two on 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 her way, you know, we are probably less daunted by it. I think that we're just kind of like more ready for it. You know, we don't think that there are many challenges that we haven't yet uh, lived up to or, or or attacked. So I'm I'm not so worried about number two as I was kind of nervous about number one, I guess. Yeah, I can hear you on that. We got four over here and our, our biggest challenge was going from two to three. And just like you, I mean, my parents both passed away before I became a father myself and my wife's parents are divorced and estranged and they're not involved in her life. So it was always just me and her uh, to kind of lean on one another, which was good in a lot of ways, uh, presented some challenges in a lot of ways. But we never had that in-law worry that, that a lot of people have to deal with uh, in, in these situations. Uh, and you mentioned your wife, Candace Owens, obviously. Uh, a, a very big name, very big career. What was it like for you to watch uh, Candace take on that role of motherhood and become a mom? Um, it was it was fascinating to watch. Uh, I mean, for those who would argue in society that men and women are not, you know have no differences, it can be the same or whatever. I mean, they couldn't be more wrong. And I mean, the example of parenthood for both of us changed us both in ways that we just didn't imagine at the first you know, before we began this journey together. You know, I think for for her, it was, you know, motherhood just brings out the best in women. I mean, it just it just does. You know, it's just a fantastic thing to see. They they become homemakers. They become people who, you know, have so much more tenderness in them. I think it's uh, it allows them to love more. Um, that's not to say they didn't love beforehand. And I and I, there are plenty of women who don't have kids who are incredibly loving and wonderful and incredible women. But it's just that motherhood is so complimentary. Um, there's no doubt about it. And, uh, you know, she really, she really blossomed into that role, I think, of, of being a mother. In the same way that being a father for me, like, you know, I suddenly started thinking about college funds and life insurance and all this kind of stuff. And it's just like dads and 
dads and mums have different things they think about, but we're all planning together now to build this family unit for the rest of our lives. And that's incredibly rewarding for the two of us. Yeah, it's so exciting, George. You're so right. And, and I'm just curious, too, because obviously your wife is a big name figure. And the listen, whenever I have uh, conservative dads on the podcast here, I get absolutely smacked on the social media. Uh, the political world is a, just a vicious uh, world. And I know she plays in that world. What is it like? Is that ever a distraction for you guys wanting to go out, have a nice family day at the park? And there are always that kind of concerns for you as a father to kind of worry that extra step to protect your family uh, just because of the kind of work that she's involved with. Yeah, you know, unfortunately, it's a byproduct of the world we're in these days, the hyperpartisan political nature that we live in. You know, we have around the clock security. Um, and obviously, it's just something that, you know, needs to be dealt with, given the profile that she keeps um, in the political spectrum and and the profile that both of us kind of are engaged with. Um, you know, it's it. I, don't, I, I hesitate to say this, I guess, a little bit, but I don't think we've quite crossed that Rubicon where children and children of well-known figures have become the targets. You know, I think that has occasionally happened, but it seems to be pretty infrequently. The media as a whole, you know, I think it's almost like one of the last pieces of hallowed ground for the media that they don't kind of cross that that river and that bridge and, and start targeting people's children. Um, you know, certainly when I grew up in the UK, it was always considered to be like the untouchable t- topic, you know, the media never went after a p- politicians' kids unless they were 18 plus, right? Um, and I think over here, it's kind of been the same a little bit. You know, we've never really found that much attention, I guess, on our family life, you know, more on the kind of political lives, I guess, that the two of us respectively lead. Um, so we can enjoy our days out. And, you know, down here in Tennessee, there's obviously a lot of friends and allies as a state, which generally is more conservative than up north where we used to live so you know we appreciate that and we value the time that we have together down here yeah great stuff and then jumping back into what you do here with parlor obviously the social media landscape is changing we got elon musk jumping in here uh buying twitter not buying twitter whatever's going on with him uh we we have president trump started the truth social so where does parlor where does that fit into all this what the what has changed since you've taken over parlor and what does the future of it look like yeah great question um (laughs) there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, I'll I'll start at the end and work backwards. So um, I think from what's changed at Parler, so the the company we inherited, I say we, the management management, uh, C-suite of this business, which as it stands now is totally different to the one that existed beforehand. The company that we inherited was not really much of a company. You know, there was, it was wide, it was destroyed by the deplatforming. It was a tech stack, which didn't work. You know, there was, huge infrastructure issues with the business operationally from a corporate perspective the business was a mess you know from a product roadmap perspective there were there was no product roadmap um you know the business was a complete bomb site in many ways most of 2021 was spent rebuilding the business putting it back into order putting it back into good shape rebuilding the full tech stack putting in place a corporate structure closing a financing round which we did in december you know shrinking the business unfortunately we had to let people go that was just a reality of the situation at the time um but now you know having closed that financing round in december and having got the business back into good shape we've been able to now build back uh you know ironically enough build back better let's put it it like that um but we've we've hired now quite a few more engineers quite i mean we've almost doubled the size of headcount in the business 
um, selectively hiring into engineering, selectively hiring into marketing, selectively hiring into product, kind of the three main areas with the occasional uh, scattering of hires elsewhere. And then we've been able to rebuild the technology. You know, we now have a great architecture, an API based architecture, which, you know, insulates the business from huge cataclysmic events like we had with AWS when they deplatformed us at the beginning of last year. And so, you know, Parler's role will always be a free speech platform, but now we're adding more to it, right? So now we're adding, we started at the end of last year adding this crypto element to it. We've got a big NFT product these days, which we're offering to our consumers. We've worked with Melania Trump on that. That's obviously a very well-known fact. She's, you know, out in the market having said this. We've worked with a couple of other people, the Babylon Bee. We've worked with, you know, a couple of other influencers. We've got more product releases coming out, some very exciting ones coming out over the summer. Um, and then we've also, you know, moving into the infrastructure space, we're doing more in that kind of area. We're trying to move into a little bit more of a B2B style business where we're providing kind of parlor as a technology services company, providing more service to consumers, to businesses, not just consumers, not just retail consumers, but business consumers as well. So we're doing more of that licensing technology. Um, we have a very innovative technology department as a whole. You know, we have 20 engineers on payroll. They produce incredible content and product and technology uh, behind Parler, which most people don't necessarily see. Um, and so we're sort of starting to think about expanding and licensing that more to this to, to business consumers out there. I, I would say that that kind of answers to some extent also the question, where does Parler fit? You know, Parler fits. Um, as a free speech platform, as a business which is focused on build, being uncancellable, but at the same time, it also helps add more strings to our bow than just being what I call a free speech business, right? A free speech business, you know, is is a business which is predicated just on free speech and and basically, you know, like Elon Musk walks in the room and, you know, all the canaries die, um, as a wise man once said to me. So, you know, it's kind of one of these things where if you're just focused on social media, you know, you leave yourself open to that. Uh, attack from Elon Musk. Uh, well, not he, he's not trying to attack us. Obviously, he's just trying to buy Twitter. But that obviously does expose that business sector. We have added much more diversity to our product offering. We now have a crypto offering. We have an infrastructure offering. We have a social media offering. There's a lot more diversity to the Parler brand now than there was, you know, say two years ago. Um, in regards to the competition, you know. Elon, I wish him all the best with with his purchase of Twitter. I've I've said this before in the media. I think that, you know, I was very skeptical of the deal when it was first announced, just because the way the market reacted, the way the share price reacted, didn't seem to me like a company which was going to get bought. I was in finance for a while. I kind of, you know, pretty familiar with uh, merger math, and it didn't make any sense how the share price was reacting. Obviously, we've now seen that the whole deal is falling to pieces. You know, I don't know what his end game is there. Maybe it's just to get a better price. Maybe it's that, you know, the widespread sell off in the tech sector has meant that he's actually reevaluated the whole thing. Who knows? You know, only only he does. Um, and then Truth and, and all the other competitive platforms, you know, we welcome I welcome competition to the space. I think let the best platform win in many ways. Um, and we have a great platform and we just released a whole lot of updates yesterday and we've got more updates coming out next week and before the end of the month. You know, and I'm and I'm quite keen to to have a competitive uh, battle in some ways with some of our some of our competition because I think that we would win that fight um, and especially now that we have more products on the on the roadmap than before but generally speaking I think that this sector is getting a lot more attention now than ever has done before conservative quote-unquote conservative media is getting a lot more attention that's both because Elon has brought that to the forefront by saying you know this censorship is a real issue 
And I think that that's something we all can be grateful for because he's really brought that to the forefront. And secondly, I think that the space as a whole is getting more attention just because there are more platforms in it. And that's a good thing. So I'm excited for our business model going forward. And I think we've got a lot to look forward to. Yeah, and I agree with you. I think it is a good thing. I think the competition is good because it will, uh, you know, it's going to create innovation. Guys are going to be looking to expand, build, change, develop just because they know that the competition is right behind them. Uh, so I think it's a good thing. And obviously the free speech is a great part of this. Uh, the censorship has gotten out of control. So hopefully this forces some of these other uh, companies too to reevaluate. I know I did an uh, interview with Dinesh D'Souza, uh, got banned on YouTube, banned on TikTok. It's like, it, you know, sometimes it's, you get a little sick and tired of being sick and tired of that stuff with all the censoring. So hopefully, uh, you know, this will change the landscape of it and make it a fair playing field for everybody. So applaud you guys for what you're doing over at Parlor, And then bringing it back into you as a father here, what would you consider, George, to be uh, the top values that you hope to instill uh, in your kids growing up? Great question. Um, <laughs> I mean, I would say a fear of God. You know, the Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Um, and I think that that is I think that's the truth. Um, and I think that the fear of God is so important. Um, you know, fearing God, not man is is so important. Like remembering that one is answerable to God and not answerable to man at the end of the day is is a will be a much more powerful motivating factor for you than you know, worrying about what the latest trend is or being answerable to your social peers, right? So that's number one. I would say, you know, everything roots from that, everything roots from that fear of God, because I would say number two will be honesty. You know, honesty and transparency, both with yourself, you know, apart from anything else, I think being honest with yourself is so crucial. You know, the greatest fights that I've had in my own life are when I've not been honest with myself, tried to either force myself to be something I'm not, or, um, you know, being dishonest you know period just lying you know whether one lies to oneself whether one wants to believe something that isn't true and i don't mean like telling her you know i brush my teeth no i didn't brush my teeth i mean something like you know exaggerating one's own potential or um you know believing something to be true when you when you know in your heart of hearts that it probably isn't right or over egging one's own ability all of these things are classic cases of being dishonest with oneself and others Right. And so being honest about one's own ability, limitations and skill set is absolutely crucial. Um, and then number three, I would say. You know, love for one's fellow man in many ways. Um, and I think, again, that sub, that stems from a, a fear of God, you know, love, love one's love one's neighbor as oneself. And I think that those are those are crucial. I mean, the Bible also says to love justice and walk humbly and love mercy. Uh, and walk with God, you know, and I think that that's absolutely crucial. So love for one's fellow man, love for each other. You know, that's how we build a better society at the end of the day. You know, one of the troubles things, things about social media is that you've just got platforms which are overrun with hatred um, and with viciousness and anger. And it's just so brutal in many ways to to read it the whole time. And uh, and I think that if if we could take a step back and actually return to some level of civil discourse, you know, that has to be driven by a love for one's fellow man and a desire to see people, you know, improve their lives and improve their lot. You know, and I think that that's something that generally conservatives are much better at than liberals who increasingly are moving down the kind of like shout louder until the other person doesn't speak anymore. And I think that that's a troubling path to go down. 
so those are kind of the values that I would try and instill in my son or I'm trying to instill in my son you know I, I think that those would be the things that I would tell him to to hark on yeah, that's awesome, Georgia. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I'm a faith-based guy myself, and I often talk on this show all the time about the fatherless crisis that we got going on. Uh, we don't, we have removed the father from the house, and we've removed our heavenly father from our society. And I think those two things make a combination that has really just destroyed our country here. And that's what's the revolving door of all these other social issues that we're trying to solve. At the root of it, it's the family units, it's the heavenly father. So if we can get back to that, and I'm kind of curious for you, I know, I, I, what is it like for you in the United States here? We lead the world in fatherless households. It's an epidemic here in the U.S. We got mm-hmm. one in four kids growing up without a father in their home, and all the stats. I'm sure you're familiar with. Them. I know Kansas speaks on this. Uh, it, it, they are uh, alarming. What is it like overseas there uh, in Europe? Is are they having a similar fatherless crisis? Is this an epidemic over there the way we see it over here? Uh, and what is your take on the, uh, on the crisis itself? Yeah, I mean, I would say that it is an epidemic overseas. I think it's an epidemic in all Western cultures, if I'm honest. Um, you know, I maybe it's not as advanced. I don't know the figures off the top of my head for mainland Europe. I mean, I know that the UK you know, has similar numbers um, to the US and maybe not as advanced in some ethnic minorities as they are over here. And it kind of speaks about that very frequently. The father's absent rate in the black community is very, very high in America. I'm not sure that that's necessarily the same in Britain. Um, The divorce rate in Britain is going up. You know, that has been the case for quite some time, although I think it may have arrested now, actually, uh, last time I checked. My dad, my dad actually does a lot of work on family policy in the UK and you know it's it's one of his biggest topics I mean it is he's probably his biggest topic that he talks about in in parliament he's uh he's a member of the house of lords and um and I mean I would say that yes you know you're quite right I mean the removal of the father from the home is awful because you know I can see that if I wasn't here the whole time or at least if I wasn't here as a father you know, the knock on impact that, that would have both on my son and among, on, on my wife would be huge, you know, because there's a mutual symbiosis. The fact the reason the family unit exists is to build that symbiosis, that symbiotic relationship between man and woman, which helps bring up children and which helps bring uh, love and the mutual and the, the kind of counterbalancing natures of, two, of the two, which help promote growth and stimulation in a child. You know, there are things that I will never be interested in. I will never be interested in wallpaper. You know, I will never be interested in like designing a child's room. Right. It's just not. But my wife finds that fascinating. Equally, she will never be interested in life insurance policies. You know, it's just there's just things which we don't do together. And of course, I'm generalizing here. But the generalization proves it to some extent proves a point, which is just that there's a symbiotic relationship between man and woman and you need both. And one of the tragedies of Western society is that we've tried to say that women can be men and, you know, women are equal to men. Why would you want to be equal to a man? I mean, it's one of the points I always say, why would you want that? You know, you know, like men have a hard drinking, you know, kind of testosterone filled existence. Yeah. And of course there has its advantages, but it also has massive disadvantages, you know, much higher rate of workplace fatality, uh, higher rates of heart attacks, you know, higher rate of alcoholism, higher rate of rate of drug abuse. I mean, it's just you name it. Men have got their own troubles. You don't want to be the same as men. And there's a the mutual respect for the sexes has been lost. 
And that's the problem. Um, the mutual respect for the unique roles that each sex has has been lost. And removing the father from the home for some reason is, you know, was the mantra of the kind of 70s feminist movement. And that has obviously had knock on impacts for a generation. Um, and that's a real tragedy. Coming back to the faith point, you know, politics sits downstream of culture. Culture sits downstream of faith, you know, and that's the kind of segment to that Andrew Breitbart quotation, which, you know, is so important. You need faith in the home because without faith, you have to argue, where are you getting your values from? You're getting your values from yourself. Well, at the end of the day, we all fail. You know, we're all human. We're all fallible. So if you're getting your values from yourself, ultimately, you won't win. Right. You need something higher than you to get your values from. And that ultimate higher, higher value is God. Yeah, very well said. And I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, and, and I'm curious too here now, uh, you got your little guy there. What kind of bedtime routine you have going on? Are you a storybook teller, or a reader? Or are you a lullaby guy? Uh, how does the bedtime routine looking like for you so, so far here into this? Yeah, I mean, it's a mixture. You know, he's got more interested in storybooks over the, over the past year and a half. So initially, storybooks were kind of more interesting for just, he would sort of grab them and flick to the end and then throw the book across the room. And I was like, okay, so this is where we are with storybooks. Um, he's now kind of got interested in them. And so he's sort of, he's much willing to, much more willing to sit in my lap and to take, you know, 10 minutes to read a storybook and to kind of figure out what's going on there. You know, he still takes a bottle at night because, you know, he likes the soothing nature of it. So, and then when he does that, he gets a lullaby as well. And then that puts him into a pretty good routine for for going down. But otherwise, you know, I tend to kind of run around with him a little bit beforehand. He's pretty he's pretty crazy at that point. Um, you know, the kind of excited pre-bed stage. Um, so he normally gets about 20 minutes of run around time with me. And then uh, and then after that, either a story or, or a lullaby and then goes down. Very cool. Yeah, you sound like you can belt out a Beatles number or two there. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course, definitely uh, what I'm seeing. Uh, all right, last thing I want to hit you with here, George. Uh, I love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast, what type of advice do you have for that new dad or for that about to be father who's out there listening? Um, I would say, um, get ready to give a bit, get ready to give a bit of yourself up, and you know, get ready to hand over control of your life to a force which is both greater and more rewarding than yourself. Because I think that too often in our society, and you're seeing this with men getting older before they have kids, the habits become more entrenched. The ability to um, see outside of self becomes more entrenched. And I think that when you get to that stage where you're like, well, this is my habit, this is what I like to do, you know, as men, we we can be quite selfish. I mean, all people can be selfish, but men are often more selfish, I find, than women. And that means that, you know, we just want we want that routine. We like what we do. We like to get up when we want to get up in the morning. We we like to have coffee. We like to do whatever we want to do, hang out with the boys. Um, you know, get ready to give that up because you're about to embark on a journey, which is so much more rewarding and fulfilling than whatever it is you had in your life beforehand. Um, and it's one of the things that I often say, I wish I'd started on this journey earlier. You know, and actually I was one of the youngest of my friends to have kids. A few more of them are having kids now or have kids in the oven. Um, but I would say that, you know, if I'd started earlier, I would have just found that rewarding reward 
more enjoyable even earlier you know and it's not something that you should put off and and get ready to give a little bit of yourself up and get much more in return yeah very well said i love the message this has been a lot of fun for me i gotta say george farmer you're a first class father all the way and thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time here on first class fatherhood all right thanks very much it was a pleasure to be here Back to wrap things up here on First Class Fatherhood. I got to give a special thank you once again to George Farmer for giving me a few minutes of his time here. That was so cool. Please hit me up on Twitter, guys, or drop me that DM on Instagram. Let me know what you thought about today's episode. Always love reading your feedback. Make sure you follow me on Instagram at Alec underscore Lace for all the upcoming guest announcements. Don't forget, my new book is available, First Class Fatherhood Advice and Wisdom from High Profile Dads. You'll find the link in the description of today's podcast episode as well. That's all I got for you guys today. I'm Alec Lace. Thank you for listening to First Class Fatherhood. And please remember, guys, we are not babysitters. We are fathers. And we're not just fathers. We are first class fathers.